the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. This weekend, I'm going to share with you four things that I have learned, continue to learn, that the Scripture teaches us regarding how to reset your emotions. What do you do when your emotions need to kind of get back to a fresh start? What do you do? What steps do you take? And let me walk you through these four principles today. Number one, you must understand that you are responsible for your own emotions. The tendency that we all have as human beings is to blame our feelings, our emotions on other people. How often have you said, you made me feel angry, you made me feel sad. So we often use the terminology of placing the responsibility for our feelings on someone else or on something else. And so many times we live our lives in a victimized world, thinking that we are the victim of people and the victim of things happening around us. The Bible does not teach that at all. In fact, the Bible teaches us that each one of us bear a responsibility for what we feel. Now, of course, do people play into that? Yes, they do. But our response has to be appropriate to people and things so that we can manage our emotions the right way, but you are responsible for your feelings. Blaming other people or other things will never help you. It will never move you forward in life. It will never reset you to where you need to be for the more abundant life that Jesus has for you. Let me take you to a story in the Bible. It's actually in the very first book of the Bible. Adam and Eve, created by God, placed in the Garden of Eden. Of course, we know the story of their sin in Genesis chapter 3, and they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then they have kids, their first two boys named Cain and Abel. And you might recall that story of Cain and Abel. They grew up, became young men themselves. And there was a particular time as young men that they were required to bring an offering to God. And so Cain made the decision to get some of the fruit of the ground that he had and just sort of throw some stuff together and bring it as an offering to God. He didn't think much about it, what he was presenting to God. But Abel uh, got part of the first, uh, uh, one of the firstborn lambs from the flock and brought it to God as a blood offering to God. And so here are these two offerings. Cain with little thought to his offering, not even the right kind of offering. And Abel brings the right kind of offering in the right way. Okay. So God looks down upon both of their offerings and he says, Cain, I'm not pleased with what you did because you didn't give me your best. You didn't give me what I required of you, but I am pleased with Abel. And so in that moment, Cain became angry with his brother and most likely angry with God. And there's this event that transpires, this interaction that Cain has with God that ultimately leads to a curse upon Cain's life. Let me read for you now Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse number 3. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best. Notice that the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very, what's that next word there? Circle that word on your notes. What is anger? Anger is a feeling. Anger is an emotion. 
This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So his physical appearance was reflecting what was going on in his emotions, all right? Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. Read the last sentence with me. But you must subdue it and be its master. God said to Cain, Cain, why are you so angry? If you'd done what was right, you wouldn't have any need for this anger. Now it's time to understand this is danger territory. You're going to get yourself in trouble if you don't address this anger soon and quickly. And it is your responsibility to subdue it. It is your responsibility to master it. If you don't master it, if you don't subdue it, it's going to master you. And of course, we know the story that Cain did not master his emotions. He did not deal with them well, and it did not end well for Cain. He killed his brother Abel and spent his entire life as a wanderer because he refused to accept responsibility for his own emotions. What I want to remind you of today again is that your reset emotionally any time in life when your emotions begin to run off course somewhere, the first thing that you must check in your life is who am I blaming or am I willing to accept responsibility for my own emotions? You cannot place that on someone else. God said you need to subdue it and you need to master it. Now God will help you. Aren't you glad that God will help you? It's great to know that. But you take the responsibility to address it in your life. Number two, the second thing the Bible teaches us about our emotions and resetting them is to understand that my emotions are always connected to my thinking. What we know about God is that God is, is one but three, three but one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one and three, three and one, that's the Trinity. And so this is God's, God lives and, and operates in, in the context of community and also unity, okay? So there's unity and community in the Godhead. When God made you and me, He created us as well as three parts, if you will, spirit, soul, and body. And so you're not just a body walking around. There are eternal elements to you, including your spirit, which is eternal and relates to God, your soul, which is eternal. The Bible says that when you die, your soul goes back. If you have a relationship with Christ, it goes back into the presence of God. And if you have no relationship with God through Christ, you're cast away from God for eternity. That's why it's so important to understand you eternal status of your soul. That's why you need Jesus to save your soul, because the saving of your soul is what brings you not only life here, but life for eternity. But living life here, let's just go to life here for a moment. Your soul is vital to God. God doesn't just care about your spirit that relates to him. God also cares about your soul and he cares about your body. Actually, God is a healer of bodies, isn't he? Okay. Notice the ministry of Jesus. He went around healing the sick, did he not? Okay? So he cares about every part of us, and he cares about your soul. This is the, perhaps the most neglected part for most people. Most people pay, well, the spirit and the soul pay little attention to those two areas. We spend most of our time trying to bring comfort to our bodies, okay? But our spirit and soul are the most neglected parts of our life. Your soul is your three basic things, what you think, what you feel, and what you do, the actions you've got. That's what your soul is, okay? Or said a different way, it's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind, what you think, your will, what you choose, and your emotions, what you feel. And what we must understand is that our negative feelings are not just 
coming to us from somewhere in the mystical world out there. But negative feelings are attached to negative thinking. When you have negative thinking, ugly thinking, ungodly thinking, then whatever that thought process is that is unhealthy or unholy, it's going to create emotions in you. Let me show you how this works, just in the very simple aspect of things. Listen to what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. Here Peter says, I've written two letters to you so far, and the whole purpose of both of these letters is I want to get you, I want to stimulate you, I want to awaken you, I want to reset you, I want to refresh you, I want to wake you up so that you will think the right way. I want to get you back into and keep you in what he calls wholesome thinking. I like that word, wholesome. Actually, the original language, Greek language for that word wholesome means warmed by the light of the sun, or it means pure. It's the kind of thing that just emanates health and purity and a sense of well-being of mind and spirit. And so Peter says, what I want in you is I want to make sure you have wholesome thinking. I love that word, wholesome, don't you? It's a word that is so rich and so full because so often we have something far less than wholesome thinking. And by the way, wholesome thinking is holy thinking, but it's beyond holy thinking. It is thinking that is whole. It it creates well-being in your life. Now, wholesome thinking doesn't happen automatically. In fact, the opposite of wholesome thinking will happen in your world. The devil will do everything he possibly can to keep you from wholesome thinking. He'll work aggressively in your life. He'll work subtly in your life. I mean, the Bible says the devil can show up as an angel of light. Okay? And so there are ways that he will work to twist and move and adjust your thinking in ways that it becomes unwholesome. And then when it becomes unwholesome, your emotions are going to suffer accordingly, which means this. It means that you and I have to get very aggressive about filtering out our thinking, putting a filter on our thoughts. And this goes back to our responsibility. God cannot do this. He could do it for you, but he's not going to. He gives us this responsibility to filter our thinking. Now, Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 9, I know some of you have heard this, perhaps this passage a, a, a million times. Finally, my friends, keep your minds on whatever is true, pure, right, holy, friendly, and proper. Don't ever stop thinking about what is truly worthwhile and worthy of praise. You know the teachings I gave you, and you know what you heard me say and saw me do. So follow my example, and God, who gives peace, will be with you. I'm going to do something interesting, perhaps, in the exposition, the explanation of these two verses. I'm going to start at the end and work my way toward the beginning. I'm going to start at the latter part of verse 9 and work my way up to the first part of verse 8. Let's look at the latter part of verse 9. And God who gives peace will be with you. Peace is an emotion, correct? 
We want the peace of God. So that's the end result. Let's start there. So now we have to back up and find out how we get there. So we know that's the result. That's what we want. We want God's peace to be ruling in our lives, filling our lives. So backing up, Paul then says, by the way, I want you to do what you've seen me do. I want you to pay attention to what I've done and follow my example. So Paul says, this peace thing, you know, there's a secret to the peace thing that if you'll look at me and pay attention to what I've done, done and how I've lived, then you can learn how to experience the peace of God as well. Now, let's back up a little bit further. What was the example that Paul set? He said, finally, my brothers, keep your minds on whatever is true and pure, right, holy, friendly, proper. Don't ever stop thinking about what is truly worthwhile and worthy of praise. Here in the contemporary English version, there are eight words that are given there. Eight words are given in any translation. I would encourage you to study those those words. But every one of these words are a filter. If it's not true, I'm not going to let it into my mind. If it's not pure, I want to filter it out of my thinking. If it's not right, I'm going to get rid of it. These are filters that you set in place. And as you're initially learning to do this, it's not easy. But you have to take control of your thinking. You know, sometimes you will believe things that are not true at all. Before long, your emotions are reflecting something that's not even true. Don't let everything that comes into your head end up in your heart. If it does, you're going to have a very, very difficult process of living your life. So you've got to analyze your thinking. You've got to force yourself to filter. Number three, third principle that we see is that our emotions are affected by our spiritual life. Anytime you drift spiritually, your thoughts and feelings are going to drift also. Just a part of the process. You can't drift from God without it affecting every part of your being. And so to reset your emotions, you have to continually ask yourself where you are in relationship to God. Where are you in your walk with God? Where are you? Are you drifting at any level? And drifting from God is not always a big jump into something that is grossly immoral. But drifting with God can be just subtle drifting that you have in certain parts of your life. And so there's always this check up with God. Where am I with you, God? Am I drifting from you? Because if you drift from God... It's going to affect how you feel. Jesus spoke a word very clearly to a church, the church at Ephesus, by the way, when John the Apostle was on the Isle of Patmos. There's a revelation that happens of Jesus there. It's in the book of Revelation. And he speaks these words that were meant for this church at Ephesus that really have application for us as well about this drifting thing and its impact upon us. Notice Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Jesus says to this church, but I have this against you. You have left the love you had at the beginning. One translation says you have departed from or left your first love. So remember where you were before you fell. Change your hearts. Would you circle that phrase right there? Change your hearts and do what you did at first. If you do not change, I will come to you and will take away your lampstand from its place. So here's the challenge. You drifted. You lost your first love. There was something that was really alive in you at one point in time. It's not alive in you right now, and that's wrong. It needs to be rekindled in you. Here's what I want you to do. Change your heart. Do what you did at first. If you don't change, you're going to lose the light in your life. You're going to lose that 
the ability for God to use you, the lamp and light of God shining through you. It's a peace that's not dependent upon all of your circumstances. It's a peace that is dependent upon your relationship with God that will carry you through. But I will tell you this. I'm going to say this before I move to the fourth point. If you don't know how to repent, if you don't know how to repent, you're going to be in trouble in your spiritual life because you need to repent about every day. Okay? Some people think of repentance as being something they did when they first met Christ, and it's not. Okay? There are things that, that you and I need to be aware of on a day-to-day basis that we stop and make an adjustment, get back again. Stop, make an adjustment, get back again. Because in the world in which we live, it is very easy to drift from God, is it not? You've got all kind of stuff coming your way, day in and day out. And so repentance needs to become a part of your life, not just a one-time or an event that happens occasionally in your life, but you live in the spirit of repentance because that's what keeps you back in your first love. Last thing I want to share with you today is our emotions are impacted by our experiences and by our exposures. Notice I did not say caused by, but I said impacted by. Impacted by our experiences and by our exposures. Who I'm around and what I'm around will affect, impact my emotions. You've got to be careful who you choose because there are a lot of people that will bring huge amounts of drama into your world that you don't need, right? But you have to be careful because this stuff, if you saturate yourself in these kind of relationships, it's going to affect your life. If you expose yourself to this stuff, it's called boundaries, establishing the right boundaries in your life with people that are not just going to spew on you. We're to always walk in love, but you can establish a boundary and still do it in a loving way, okay? It's important. So you have to be aware of that reality. Not only that, but experiences, places that you go and environments that you're in. If you're not careful, you can get yourself pulled down by what's happening around you. I want to tell you a last story here. In just a moment, I'm going to read from 1 Kings chapter 19. Let me set the stage for you. Elijah was a prophet in Israel. He was prophesying during a time that there, were a, there was a king by the name of Ahab. And he was married to a woman named Jezebel. Okay, so Ahab and Jezebel... Wicked, I mean, wicked, wicked, wicked. They worshipped Baal, all kind of idols. And Elijah was speaking and prophesying and teaching the word of God. And so because of that, and because of Ahab and Jezebel's hatred of God and love for idols, Ahab and Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah. Okay, They were out to kill him. And so Elijah prophesies a famine in the land. And then Elijah has to go and hide for a period of time because he's afraid they're going to kill him. Actually, they were going to kill him. And then there's this moment that transpires. This is, by the way, if you want to read about this, you can read and starting in 1 Kings chapter 17. It's where the story sort of begins for it. And then in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, there's this moment when Elijah comes out of hiding. He goes up on the Mount Carmel. And there there's this encounter that Elijah has with 450 prophets of Baal. Those prophets are put down by God and they're slain there. But then Elijah realizes that he's still in trouble because Ahab and Jezebel want to kill him even more now because he's defeated all of those prophets of Baal. So he's in trouble. He's going through a really stressful time. What is the stressful time? There's been the threat of life upon him. There's been famine in the land. He's had to be fed miraculously by God. So every day, where's the food coming from? 
He feels the stress of all this for three, three and a half years. And then he's had the stress of this event at Mount Carmel where he's faced alone 450 prophets of Baal. All of that represents stress. S-T-R-E-S-S. Say it with me. Stress. Okay. He was under massive stress by what he had been around. Okay. So now after this transpires, let's pick up the story. Chapter 19, verse number 2. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you kill them. What do we call that? Stress. Elijah was, what is fear? It's a feeling, it's an emotion, it's a thought process that leads to emotion. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. And then he says this, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Let's stop there for a moment. Elijah comes off of this stressful experience at Mount Carmel. He realizes that Ahab and Jezebel still want to kill him even more so now, so he runs away from them. He is running, just fleeing, feeling the fear inside. Am I going to make it? Because he's, he's gone through this three years of stuff, and he's just feeling, he runs out into the wilderness and he finds a tree and he sits down under this tree in the wilderness and he prays this prayer. He says, Lord, I have had enough. I can't take any more of this. Just God, come and kill me. Come and take my life. I, I, I don't want to live anymore. Heaven looks real good right now. He was at a very low point, a very low point in his life. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to digress for a moment because I need to digress lest you misunderstand something that I just read or this in Scripture. Elijah was not suicidal. This was not Elijah saying, I'm going to take my life. No, he was praying that God would take his life. What he was saying was, I've had enough. I would like to go to heaven now, Lord, if I have your permission. Right? And so there are those moments in life when you get so worn out and so exasperated that you look forward to leaving this life and going to heaven. But, but Elijah was not suicidal. Elijah was not thinking about taking his own life. He was praying for relief, okay? He was praying for relief. So what I want to say to you, listen closely, suicide is never God's will for your life, okay? With God, there is always hope for a new tomorrow, okay? With God, there is always hope for a better day. See, suicide is the most permanent solution to a temporary problem you can get. I mean, you settle it and you settle it for good. So when you think about suicide, you think this is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And so you don't want to live that way. And so nowhere in Scripture are we told or emphasized that that suicide, taking our own lives, is something of value. In fact, God honors and values life. And we need to honor and value life in every form as well. And so Elijah was not suicidal. He was at the bottom. He was hurting. He was hoping that God would just intervene. He just had enough. He was totally wiped out. So he prays this prayer. and The Bible says in verse 5, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones. 
and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food, notice this, the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. That must have been some pretty good protein bars there. Would you agree, okay? (laughs) Here's what I want you to see. Elijah had come through all of this stress. He'd been around some really negative people and really negative things. And people were trying to hurt him and destroy him and come against him. And he's dealing with all this stuff. And he's feeling that the emotions are being dragged down into fear. And he was at a really low point because of the environment that he'd been subjected to. But God in that moment reached down and helped him. How did he help him? He said, you know what, Elijah? First thing you need to do is take a nap. You know, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. And then he got up and ate something. What I want you to know is that God can help you reset your emotions even out of negative environments that you've been associated with or people that have tried to drain you in certain ways. You need, especially when you're around stuff like that, you need to go to God for the reset button. Amen? Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.